So you're saying to yourself, yo, sir, dude, I wanted to see Kevin Smith in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but the motherfucker sold out. Well, after I shed a tear for you, I highly recommend bookmarking csmod.com. That's the place on the worldwide interwebs to see all upcoming Smodco shows, updated with linky links to Tiki Tickets. Say it with me, baby. csmod.com. Nice. Ooh, I just got a little hard there. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. This is Kelly Carlin, and uh, welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Sometimes it's music, strange mathematics, rhythmic equation. The sound of thought is enlightenment. The magic light of tomorrow. Backwards, others of sadness. Forward and onward, others of gladness. Enlightenment is my tomorrow. It has no planes of song. My invitation, I do invite you to give my space A song is sound of enlightenment Space fire truth is enlightenment Sent from the space world, the Starry Enlightenment is my tomorrow It has no plane of sorrow, of sorrow, by my invitation, my invitation, I do invite you, I do invite to you, of my space, my space, by my invitation, my invitation, I do invite you, I do invite you, of my space, my space, by my invitation, I do invite you, I do invite you, of my space, my space. Okay, so normally I play the beginning of that song and then I say the words, but today I said the words and then I played the whole goddamn song because you guys never get to hear the whole goddamn song. And plus I just spaced out. Whatever. I'm just doing things differently today and every day because that's what we do every day. We do things differently. Hey, everyone. Uh, that was uh, Travis Shook. That was the song called Enlightenment. I just love Chandler and Chandler Travis, especially. Steve Shook is lovely too, but I don't know Steve as well as I know Chandler. Chandler's nuts. I think that's why I love him. Uh, hey everyone. Uh, welcome to March. I wasn't here last week at the beginning of March. I apologize. I was busy. I was busy, um, 
doing something called sketch comedy last week. Uh, okay, ready for the name dropping? So I got invited to do a sketch with, uh, let's see, <clears throat> uh, John Fugelsang, Phil Lamar of Mad TV, Paul Provenza, Edie McClurg, look her up. She was in Ferris Bueller and 10,000 other films. The fabulous Steven Weber, uh, the most fabulous Logan Heftel, who's sitting right next to me, and the icing on the top and the cherry on the top, Lorraine Newman. Hello. That was like uh, perfection last week. So that's where I was at the beginning of March. That's why I didn't do the show. I was being selfish and I went off and did sketch comedy and and you know me, I don't pre-record these things. I just show up here at five o'clock and whatever's going on is going to go on. So uh, welcome to March. It's amazing here. I'm looking out at my uh, garden right now. My coral tree is beginning to bloom. The wisteria is beginning to bloom. The jasmine has been blooming for three weeks. It's gorgeous out there. Spring has sprung. There are hummingbirds and butterflies. And today there are helicopters. We're not quite sure why. Uh, we're thinking um, we know it's not OJ. Um, could be Lindsay Lohan. It's always a possibility. It's not military craft. So I don't know if there's anyone important in town here today. It looks mostly like news chapters. So who knows what's going on? Uh, also, the big news today is that it's International Women's Day. And um, I must tell you, I was really busy all day looking at my vagina. It was a very busy day for me. My neck's a little cramped and no... And no people on Twitter, it did not wink back at me. Stop that. Like 25 people, did it wink back at you? No. But here's what I want to say about this International Women's Day thing. Okay, women are over 50% of the population and we need to have our own fucking day. Is this how fucked up it's been for millennium that we have to actually have our own day? <sighs> it's very irritating. Um, so yeah, I guess it's International Women's Day. Not quite sure what that means. Um, I know it's an honoring of women in an international way. And I'm all for that. Absolutely. Being a woman, I like being honored. And I think it's important that we uh, highlight issues that have to do with women in the world. And I guess really what pisses me off once again is that we have to highlight issues that are going on in the world with women. And we certainly know, you know, even in this country, there are issues going on. There are people who want to put probes up my vagina and uh, tell me that I can't have birth control, but they can have Viagra. It's insane. The country has gone insane. You know what? But maybe the country has always been insane. But and yet in this 24-7 news cycle with Twitter and, and all the social media, we just get to know about it now. Isn't this fun? We actually get to know about our fellow humans. <sighs> okay. Speaking of which, oh, we won't get to that yet. I'm just going to catch up you a little bit on my plans for this weekend. Tomorrow morning, crack of ass dawn. I'm getting on an airplane. That would be Southwest, an airplane, because I'm going to South by Southwest. Get that? Do you understand that? See how that works? See what I did there? And also, I believe Southwest must be promoting or sponsoring the event because I have these vouchers to fly tomorrow that they gave me because I'm a performer that can knock anyone off of any Southwest flight. <laughs> I have like the power of the president or the king or the queen or the goddess or something. I could fuck with people's lives tomorrow. But no, I have a reservation. Don't worry. I have my own seat already picked out. I just have to use my voucher. Very excited. Going to Austin tomorrow. Unfortunately, I'm there for a little over 48 hours. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, just about 48 hours. So I don't have a ton of time to soak up the Austin-ness of the Austin, but I will have enough time to soak up uh, lots of BO of interactive South by Southwest people. 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. How many people are going to be there? Like 30,000, do you think? I don't know. I've heard a lot because let me tell you, just the number of people presenting at the interactive the next five days is over 2,000 people. So if 2,000 people are presenting, there's got to be 10 times that coming to see the 2,000 people presenting. Uh, I am one of those 2,000, and I'm going to be in Ballroom G at the convention center at Saturday at 5 o'clock. The room holds only about 300 people. So that is like a very small percentage of the twenty to 30,000 people that are going to be there. So you better get there early and get your ass in a seat, motherfucker, because I'm going to be laying down some shit about being a Colin. That was me being black. Really, I'm very white. I don't do that well. Um, but please come see my show, see my storytelling. Uh, if you're a fan of my dad's, uh, which I know if you're listening to this podcast, I know you are. I mean, I can't imagine you're a fan of mine and not a fan of my dad's. But you know what? If you are, please send me an email. I would really like to know about that. That would be really awesome and confusing, but really cool also. Uh, and uh, so come see me at uh, the South by Southwest. Come find me on Twitter uh, to do that. You know, we'll do the tweeting thing and we'll find each other. We'll do a little tweet up. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to grab a little barbecue, maybe hear a little music, who knows what's going to happen. So that's all very exciting. And then Los Angeles, if you're in LA at the end of the month and want to see my show, I'm at Santa Monica Playhouse, March 22nd. Uh, it's, it sells out every time I do this. It only holds about 80 seats, people. So you got to come and get the tickets. And it's actually, I think it's about a third sold right now. And it's what, more than two weeks out. So get your goddamn tickets, people. Uh, for that. And, uh, and then I just want to spend a few minutes. Um, my cousin Dennis is, uh, here today because he's actually going to be house sitting with Stella and Ned this weekend while Bob and I are in Austin. And I wanted him to come and just hang out with me <clears throat> for like the next 15 minutes or so and have a little conversation because earlier this week I was on Twitter and I was trying to, you know how on Facebook has this new timeline thing and you can do the, the long cover photo thing. So I was trying to do that, but I was trying to do it with a plain background with words. And I'm not a graphic artist person. And I said, I'm trying to do this Facebook cover profile photo thing, but I'm, I'm a retard when it comes to graphics. I, I mean, it's just a word I use to describe being um, not very good at something. And so I offended some people and I offended a couple of people who I actually really genuinely like in the real world and felt really bad about offending them. But then something else happened and my Carlin came arising up in my throat like vomit. <laughs> and so I really started sitting with this because I'm, I get it. My dad I mean, there was only one word in the Carlin household that I was not allowed to say, and it was the N-word. My father did said to me, you are never allowed to use that. That is not okay. It's never appropriate. And then my dad had his own evolution with that and used it and talked about it. And of course, Richard Pryor had his own thing with that. So there's a lot of words. So anyway, I, I wanted Dennis to come and talk about this a little bit because Dennis and I, Dennis's brother, Packy, uh, as a child was labeled or, or considered uh, different because he had ADHD and he does have some developmental issues, but he's also a savant in other things. I mean, this is a person who he watches a movie and you ask him, 
I mean, any movie, you say, oh, remember the Philadelphia story? And he will tell you everyone who starred in it, what year it was made, what studio. I mean, really, he's – And he's really good at graphic arts too. <laughs> and maybe he's the one who needs to be doing my graphic he's, arts. Yeah, he's really great on Facebook. So, so, Dennis, so I wanted Dennis and I to talk about this word and, and just the whole PC thing around the world. So anyway, first of all, here's my little semi-rant about the word – retard or retarded and it's not in any particular order but this is some things i've been thinking about so it says i'm saying that if we call people who have a low iq mentally challenged or handicapped then we are no longer calling them retarded and so then if we no longer use that word anymore then will it disappear from the lexicon completely and then and only then can i then use it again to call myself slow i'm just wondering what the time limit it will be on that um, here's another little thing I just wrote about a, a retard, someone who is slow, doesn't grasp things easily or at all. If they are truly retarded, then, oh no, wait, I totally fucked this up. This is the wrong paragraph. I, um, I, I, I was cutting and pasting earlier. You know how that is? Cutting and pasting. I was it's a lot like graphic art. <laughs> oh, if it was only that simple, Dennis. <laughs> no, wait, no, here's the other thing too. Is okay. So here's the. Oh, so I was reading this amazing article by this person, Christopher M. Fairman. Uh, I think it's a Washington Post, and he he was t- he was talking about the etymology of the word retarded, and he was saying that before in the fifties, clinical psychologists decided to create a term to describe people who have literally an IQ under seventy. And he said before that, the reason they, one of the reasons they did that was because they wanted to show honor and respect to these people, which is absolutely true. I mean, I mean, I want to honor and respect everybody. And, um, they said, and the reason is because people were tre- were called, we called them imbeciles. They, they were called imbeciles before or, or morons or idiots. And so then we came up with the, the term, uh, clinically mentally retarded. Which then has become shortened to become retarded or retard. And now it's more, I think people say it's intellectually challenged or mentally challenged. And some people call it mentally abled. And that's like really when you start really pissing me off and the PC, all that stuff. But my question is, is if idiot and imbecile was originally used to describe a person who had some sort of mental challenges, but now I call them mentally challenged. If I use the word idiot or imbecile in a sentence, even to describe myself, am I possibly insulting those people again? Because that's what they were called 50 years ago. So I, I just want to – I'm so confused, Dennis. Those Please help me dead. out. 50 years ago. A lot of those people are dead, so you're not offending them. <laughs> but um, What's your take on this, My Dennis? take on this, and even what you said with the N-word, like, why can't we just call it a racial slur? Like, as soon as you say N-word, I think we you all know, know what, what word, word I'm saying. And, and the intent, right. right. So right. It, it doesn't lessen it or take any of the sting out of it. And yeah, people have feelings, and feelings can be hurt. Of course. And groups of people can be hurt by yes. words. And, 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 when, and are hurt by more than words, are hurt by real things. But it's when they start grouping them. them together, too. It's also... You know, you join a group, your group, and then you can start fingering them and pointing them out as a group. Uh huh. Why can't we just be people and human beings? And why can't we just call them racial slurs? Right. Does it really matter what letter it starts with or right. what group it's directed towards? Or, right. And they say it on TV. Oh, he said the N word, and you know, Kramer right. said. So the he N-word. said a racial slur. Yeah. Just 
Yeah. Does it really matter which one? Right. It's, it's a racial slur. Well, and I, I think it's it's a good point also because um, it's like when the New York Times writes the word "fuck out" with F star right, we star all know K. What it is. We know what the word is. So right. why? Frank, so Frank. how is? Yeah, Frank. So how is it any different writing the word "fuck" than writing it with with little stars? It isn't. It isn't. Right. And and I think this goes back to what. Uh, George said also, it's not, there's no bad words. Mm-hmm. There's bad intentions and right. bad thoughts and feelings, but no bad words. It's just a word. I don't know if you're, what your intent was or my, what you my, felt. my intent was to call myself someone who's not, who's not up to speed about something her, or her maybe is a little slow so or I something. I think you should call those people not up to speeders and then you could. Okay. Offend them that way. Okay. And then it's even saying those people are these people. Right. Those kinds of phrases really bug me. It's like you're immediately grouping Grouping people again. Right. Right. That's probably where the real mistake is, in my opinion. But so if I'd called myself an imbecile, I'm a real imbecile when it comes to graphics. Would I have been insulting the imbeciles of the world? People that I feel are imbeciles, like Rush Limbaugh and Sarah Palin. And Rick Sword Santorum. I mean, do they have a right then to come? I just want to, I, it's like, it's like, here's the thing about it. I am, you know, we all know I'm the poly mind girl here. I've got a mind of many perspectives and I can hold many perspectives. And I absolutely get, um, you know, when people, because I'm a woman, people will use a term about being a woman, you know, um, you know, maybe like the, hey, broad or something or even cunt, you know, they could say the word cunt. And if they're mad, the C word. and if, yes, it is, well, I actually do say the word cunt. I never say the C word. Fuck that shit is what I say. <laughs> um, so. I, and, and so if you're going to, if we're in an argument together and you call me a cunt, that's going to sting. I get it. You right. know, and if I'm being, yes. and if I'm being a cunt, check, I might have deserved it. Also, there's different degrees of sensitivity in each of us as individuals. So right. one person might be offended by that and one Another person might, might be turned on. Oh, yeah, or like it. <laughs> so you can't really speak for everyone in a, you know, in that group of women right. as, in that case but you know so it's it's really up to the individual and their sensitivity to it and it might bother someone the thing that's funny is where it bothers people that aren't in that group you know like you say that and if someone who was mentally challenged or however you want to right classify them yes had a problem with that that's different than someone who's just standing up for you know oh you said that that, and and i think that's a very interesting point it, it is an interesting point and that's also another thing i was thinking on that is there's a lot of guys that are like 35 in their parents' basement with a video game and a bong who use the word retard. Oh, that's so retarded. And the, while a guy with Down syndrome is getting in his car and holding down a job at McDonald's, you know, and this guy's like, oh, man. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, who, who is more mentally challenged or, or, or irresponsible or however you want to, right. you know, it, it's all different degrees for different people. So, and it's, it's the same thing with gay, right? You can't yes. say gay. That's gay. That's so gay. But so if there's a gay retarded guy, then he's in trouble. Yeah. It's like, it's, no, don't make fun. yeah, I know. I, then I, yeah, then I'm definitely in trouble. Either one of those situations. No, it, as, as Jerry Seinfeld used to say, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. Um, and then I went, and then I went because, uh, you know, I went into the files and I went and looked at dad's PC file and I've got about six. He was a Mac guy. He was a Mac guy actually, but strangely enough, he had a PC file inside of his Mac, Dennis. It was very strange. Uh, and just, you know, um, just let's just hear from my dad on this a little bit. Uh, I mean, there's so much here, but, um, he says, he says, in truth, 
they want to change a system that is not worth changing and not worth joining. They're all conservatives. If they believe in the system, oh, no, no, let me, let me back up, let me back up, let me back up, sorry. Um, oh, okay. You expect censorship from the right. You expect it from ignorant Christians, but it now it's com- coming from the political left and from the universities. This is obviously older stuff. He's talking about PC speech. The so-called liberals. When so-called liberals start trying to limit speech, it's time to pay attention. Let me state the obvious. There are people in this country who wish to control what other people, the rest of us, hear, see, think, and say. And some of them are those who are usually found on the side of the dissenters. But when dissident views become a new orthodoxy, I reject them too. I am uncomfortable with orthodoxy of any kind. It's a smart guy. God, you know. So uh, I that... That's, that's another, there's another aspect. And then there's another one in here too that he, uh, talks about, um, still another form of censorship is the attempt by special interest groups to control the vocabulary of political discourse and in the case of comedy to abolish certain topics as legitimate subjects for laughter. Joking about subjects as rape serves to desensitize the subjects. We have to be able to talk about these things openly. The alternative is to continue a silence which keeps the subject in the closet and contributes to the problem. So that's not – I mean that doesn't really talk about mental retardation. But I mean he's talking about – And I consider a lot of people with high IQs to be mentally retarded yes, and mentally challenged agreed. in my opinion. Intellectually challenged. And also – and then the, the, the term special, there's special education right. and special Olympics. It's like – they're already in their own vernacular classifying, you know, set, why, well, just be people. Like my brother is my brother. I don't think totally. of him as my special brother Come or as my God. challenged brother. He's my brother and he's a great guy and a beautiful person to be around. And so are all of these people. So are all of us. There's a lot of beautiful people that are fun to be around. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you're tall, you're skinny or whatever. Right. You know, when you start classifying eye color, it's like, what was that? Uh, the Dr. Seuss show the, the stars on their bellies <laughs> it's like, it's like you're gonna find something eventually if we all had the same height and the same iq yep they'd find the size of your eyebrow or something to yep. to be different so just you know embrace our differences and be different and be cool with people and treat each other well yes and just take people as they are as they how are. they treat you right and, and how you treat them and so when i called it i called it when i called it myself you did call it yourself when i called myself a retard in using graphics, I, <laughs> I, I, I really wasn't thinking about anyone but myself. And I, yes, I could have used idiot and imbecile and moron, or but bad, I, or, you so know, you would have sent bad people. I, well, and that's the thing is, and so, and so I just, it's like, that's the thing. I get it. And that's yeah, a tough, tough, it bit, is a, a tough, tough one. one. It's but a I tough think, one. And I, I think it'd be safe to say that you don't hate People. No, and you certainly don't hate people based on their IQ, and you certainly don't hate people based on. And if I was in an argument with someone who was considered classified mentally challenged, and they we were we were throwing insults at each other, I would not be calling them a retard. I'd call them an asshole, a douchebag, a fuckface before I would... That's how they're treating. Yes, exactly. exactly. I'd say, fuck you, you fucking asshole for, you know, whatever, you know. So, and then... You know, I'd, I'd call their mother something probably nice. because that's a good insult. Based on her height. Though. Yeah. Short. Your You're mother's short a short man. blonde woman. Yeah. I don't guy. know. I'm going to lose tons of followers good. and, and people who are listening to this podcast are probably unclicking right now because they're thinking, what is this girl doing? But, but think how many you're going to gain though. But here's what I have to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> really, the thing is, I'm just curious about this. I, I want to have a conversation with it. I, I want to know the line. And, um, and I guess for me, just for this particular word, I, I don't understand the line so much. Uh, you know, if there was someone who's retarded in the room, I would not have used the word, but. I don't I, think it's that. I think it's I intent. Know. It's intent again. And it's also, I mean, those are late. I understand why people dislike that and, 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 yes. and same with racial slurs. You know, it's a, there's different sensitivities again. And you, yeah. And it's you, usually about power over and oppression of people. And I it's mean, also using it like, oh, that's so gay. It's right. like, really? Oh, you mean it's really fucking cool and it looks great and it's, and it's or, designed well? It's like, or, or it's like, right. it's, it's a derogatory. You know what I mean? Like if you, you, right. know, if you, if you said like, wow, you know, I made my Facebook page and it came out really great. I'm so retarded. It's like, <laughs> you know, but the fact that, that you use that a, a word it's that, with that, a negative that, connotation, yeah, exactly. that's, that's right. where it gets offensive right. to people. And that, you know, I understand that, but at the same time, it's just a word and, right. and who you are as a person doesn't mean that you hate that group or hate any group. Right. Right. It's just, it's in the. Yeah, well, yeah. and it I, gets used that way. It and, does, and, and like I said, it's usually by guys with bongs in their lap in video <laughs> games, who are in their thirties in their parents' basement, you know, talking about some guy that I you know is that. actually holding down a job at McDonald's. It's and, such a great image, Dennis. Yeah, and it, it should really be called is. Up Syndrome. Come on. Come yeah, on. Up Syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Those are cool people. Those are really cool people. Absolutely, uh, beautiful, beautiful people. And that's the person who originally contacted me about this. He has he has a done a Down syndrome uh, child, and and I guess there is a, a kid who's got Down syndrome who made who's who's made a kind of a campaign about this using this word, and he's he's made a big campaign about it and wants people to not use it. And you know, and my fear always is about you know when we control language or we want to tr- control other people's language, that means we want to control other people thinking and control ideas in the culture. And if, as you can see by the present uh, slate of candidates on the Republican side, um, ideas are not respected. Uh, having um, any kind of sense of wanting to think about something deeply is not respected. And uh, so there's a real backlash going on for people. And so, you know, just know. another limit. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what it is. That's what it is. Totally. Just another limit. So, uh, Dennis, so thank you for coming on. Well, and thanks for having me. We've Kate. solved absolutely nothing. Oh, I love that. Which too. is perfect. That it's is, exactly how I like to leave these things. <laughs> <laughs> is actually open and more confused and at the end of it. And hopefully we've offended even more people. I, uh, that would be... Uh, I think we've probably inspired and offended equally people, nice, which nice. is really what all life is about because, um, you know, that's what you walk. You walk into a room, you're bound to do half of that. And, you know, this has been a real interesting kind of personal thing for me because I'm a person who... <clears throat> wants everyone to like me. I, I have that syndrome. I like you. I know you do. And, um, but I have that syndrome. So I get very nervous when people are, when I have done something that might make someone not like me. And I, it literally makes my stomach cringe. And, and yet, um, I'm also learning that, um, that doesn't mean I don't have an opinion that, you know, we can agree to disagree and still like each other. And if you could make someone not like you with one word, you're pretty powerful. That's really Thank a, you. An amazing feat. Wouldn't that be interesting? One word. God, I am. I'm that narcissistic, aren't I? <laughs> See, now that's a word too. You just offended the narcissist. You can throw that. No, see, narcissists can't be offended. That's That's the nice thing about them. Let's let's work on them. (laughs) Because no matter what, if you're talking about them, they're happy. Fucking narcissist. (laughs) 
<laughs> fucking hate those narcissists. It's the people who are afraid that their narcissists get that word thrown at them that really freak them out because oh, I, the you know, fuck that shit. The universe does not revolve around them. All right, folks, I'm going to play a song here. Uh, thank you, Dennis. And uh, then we're going to uh, go to our guest today, who is uh, Chuck Wendig, who is a very lovely, nice human being who I found on the Twitter, of course. But he's very talented. He's done a lot of things in the world. And I'm going to play – Oh, wait, 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 hold on. What did you say? You just defended the twits. You said <sighs> – Fuck the twits. The twits, twits know I've got their that was back. That's also a derogatory term. Twits, yes. The British right call there. them twits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Twitter. It is Twitter. Thanks it's a bunch of fucking twits. I'm a fucking twit. I'm what can I say? Twit. No, you're not. You're not a twit. Aren't you special? Oh, oh look special. Is it again? There again. Fuck, I'm so screwed right now. All right, folks. This is Carrie Cooper doing Suzanne. <laughs> circus when she was 43 misses her kids occasionally as she swings on her trapeze but she doesn't miss washing dishes as she flies through the air with the breeze in her hair Devil may care, cause you can't have everything, 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 no you can't, you can't have everything, everything, can you Suzanne? She fell pretty hard for a carny on the train. Couldn't resist when he kissed her Just a little longer Just a little longer And she knew was right But you can't have
That was uh, Carrie Cooper doing Suzanne. I'll remind you that she's someone who I found in my house. She just came one night. We're having a party. And uh, she pulled out our ukulele and started playing and blew my mind. Yeah, that's how I find people. They just show up at my house and start playing their ukulele in my fucking living room. I don't know. I don't know who fucking signed me up for this life, but I guess I did. That's what they say. So my guest today... I found on the Twitter, hello, like how have you, many times you fucking heard that out of my mouth? His name is Chuck Wendig. He is a novelist. He's written uh, a bunch of books, a book called Double Dead, November 2011 that hit the shelves. He's got a new book coming out called Blackbirds that I'm reading right now. He sent it to me so I could read it before all you other people because I'm special. Oh, there's that word again. And his sequel, Mockingbird, is coming out at the end of this year. Uh, he's also, along with his writing partner, Lance Wheeler, is an alum of the Sundance Film Festival's Screenwriters Lab. Their short film, Pandemic, showed at the Sundance Film Festival in 2011. And their feature film, Him, is in development with producers Ted Hope and Ann Carey. Ooh, that's good news. Together, they co-wrote the digital transmedia drama, Collapsus, which was nominated for an International Digital Emmy and a Games for Change Award. That's all very fancy sounding. Chuck has contributed over 2 million words. I want to know exactly how many over 2 million he's contributed to the gaming industry and was the developer of the popular Hunter, colon, The Vigil game line. He's a frequent contributor to The Escapist, writing about games and pop culture. Uh, Chuck, are you there? I am here. Oh, Hi. You are so there. That's such a clean, crisp. Listen to that. Listen to that connection, people. Huh? Huh? <laughs> high it tech. High tech goddamn shit going on here. Like I have, I have three Apple computer thingies going right now in this. Uh, thingies? Think, Is well, that a technical term? It's very technical. Very good. <laughs> so welcome to uh, Waking from the American Dream. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I found you on Twitter and saw some of your tweets and I thought, wow, this man has a twisted mind. I must follow him. And then after a while, I decided I must have a longer conversation than 140 characters with you. Which says something about you. It does. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it says. Well, we'll find out by the end of the show what it says. Something I guess. good, I think. I'm, I'm hoping it is something good. That is right. Absolutely. So one of the things that uh, you're – first of all, your website that is called Terrible Minds – Yes. What is so? I call myself a poly mind. It's kind of a word I made up because I have this poly mind. It is many minds. Sure. Um, you know, now, is that like a multiple personality thing? Like no, it's, people living in your head because that's okay. There's well, I mean, that. it is, it is, but it's more of like from an archetypal Jungian point of view. You know, kind sure. of more of a gestalt thing. That's kind of right. the way I hold it. Um, what is this terrible minds about? Like, what's that m- moniker about? Yeah, like, I guess it was 10 years ago, I thought, okay, I'm going to start this website, and it's going to be this great online zine for writers, and we're all going to get together, and it's going to be this community for all these twisted, fucked up writer people, and we're all going <laughs> to, you know, smash our, our heads together and, and come up with great stories and all these weird little little tales. And then I, I you know, I took a nap, and I was like, well, that's going to be a lot of work, so I'm not going to do that. Uh <laughs> I decided instead, why don't I just be selfish and take the website for myself and, and fuck all those other people? And uh, so it became sort of just my personal website. But over time, it, it ended up evolving into this thing where, it, as it turned out, it sort of is kind of a weird, twisted community for fucked up writer people, <laughs> which is all pretty much all writer people fucked up. Yeah. I mean, that, 
Yeah. That's the moniker. This is true because one of the things you first see when you go onto your website is that you uh, give advice to writers about writing and you spend a lot of time thinking about writing and talking about writing. Sure do. Yeah. Which makes some some people get angry at that. It's kind of funny. No, what what is that about when they get angry? I don't know. I think they don't. There's and it's, it comes usually from already published writers. They have this sensibility about them that writing advice is completely useless and that there's no one can gain anything from it, which is nonsense. I mean, that's like saying you know you can't take directions to the to the store to the grocery store. <laughs> like, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't want to learn how to use a VCR. I don't want to. You know, there's like you don't, you don't have to listen to me. I'm not. Not forcing you to listen. Well, I think it's. I think this is a great point because the, I think their uh, writing is both a craft and an art, and yes. anything that is a craft can be taught, can be learned, and can and you can improve at. So a technical component to writing. Yeah, yeah. You can put up like ten words together and hope it makes a sentence. Like you know, badger, donkey, toad, and you're like, oh, that is not a sentence. You can't just do that. <laughs> Yes, exactly. There, there's some basic rules we need to all stick with. Um, so, so what is, what is your, what, what urges you to write about writing or talk about it? Like, what's the part that kind of is like, oh, I need to express this to people about it? Um, I, I generally blog like no one is listening. Um, cause I always assume no one's actually paying attention to what, crap i'm saying today uh so mostly i'm yelling at like myself Mm. um usually like my 18 year old self who had all these delusions about what it would be like to be a professional writer you know that like you know i'm gonna be in coffee houses and write a novel i'm like ooh, everyone's gonna look at me they're all gonna want to have sex with me because i'm writing a novel that's (laughs) that's actually sort of i i have no pants and i have food in my beard and that's sort of and i'm in an office in a dark hole that's 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 actually what i'm doing um, day to day. <laughs> it's, so. it's very similar to the glamour of movie making and TV yes. making. Uh, yeah, which I've learned that too. It's, there's no, there's no glamour. No. Um, no, they make it seem like there could be glamour and then you learn the truth. Yeah, there's, there's glamour if you're Brad Pitt and you're going to the Oscars and there's only about two minutes of it because the rest of it is just slogging hell. Seriously. Yeah, we, yeah, having, you know, in the last couple of years I've gotten into the, the film and TV thing and I've noticed that. It's funny because you go to New York and people are, mean to you but honest and you go to LA people are nice to you but completely dishonest so they're like we love it we love your idea we're gonna call you in 10 minutes as soon as you leave and then you never hear from those people again you're like oh yeah it feels like you've been spurned it's like a prom date who won't go out with you it's not good I like that I like that definition of the difference between New York and LA that is very true I'd rather you be mean to me and honest than nice to me and fake uh, agreed. Very much agreed. I like that. That's that's very good. And and I, and I like that you write um, for yourself, or assuming that nobody's listening, because I think for myself as a writer, I have to when I'm first writing anything down, um, you have to kind of forget about the audience. Yeah, well, I, I was just listening before I came on and all the talk about language and words and what's offensive and what's not. But I mean, you're kind of talking about you and what you think. And that's sort of you know, it's almost like no one's listening. And that's a good, I think, a good way to be because it ensures that you're a little more honest with an audience, maybe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah, because, you know, pre-censoring oneself uh, kind of uh, stifles that communication thing. <laughs> right. Precisely. 
<laughs> yeah. If you put up the wall, you're just going to run into it. So yeah, and and I, and I found as I've learned and and worked on my own craft of writing, uh, especially over the last 15 years, which is really what I would consider myself a writer, um, you know, of any kind of uh, weight or actually, you know, putting something out there in the world. Uh, you know, I, one of the things, one of the, the greatest advice I ever got was from Anne Lamott that, you know, gives herself permission to write shitty first drafts. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. You know, and that, that, I would say like write, writing is when the words, you, when you make the words and, and editing is when you make them not shitty. That's it. I mean, that's exactly it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And editing is when you actually come with a different perspective, an outside perspective and say, is this actually what I intended? Is this having the impact I wanted right. to have? Well, you, yeah, you definitely need to give yourself the time to sort of look at it as a distance because otherwise if you come at it too soon – you either hate it or love it. You just want to burn everything down or you want to hug it close and never let anyone touch it. So you sort of need to get to the point where you read your own work like some other asshole wrote it. And you're like, oh, okay, now it's, it's some other guy and I can, I can now attack it or, you know, evaluate it appropriately. Yeah. And there take, there, there, there takes a level of, maturity in order to be able to do that i noticed for myself Uh yeah that's that's bad because i don't know if i have that going for me well i mean a maturity in the sense that i think it's you know the part about you know if you love it too much if things are if everything you write is so precious and perfect and you know that it's all your babies uh then yeah yeah, there's there's a kind of a sense of like you know masturbation or or something like that you know it's like oh let's not knock masturbation Let's not, let's not get crazy already. It's a little too early in the call to get. I'm going to be offending masturbators now, which pretty much is know. everyone on the planet yeah, except the lowest, Rick Santorum. Yeah, the onanists are upset. <laughs> They've spilled their seed. Oh no! But I mean, mature in a sense that you know you have to be uh, have enough uh, capability within your psychological maturity to yeah. step outside of yourself and say, "Boy, maybe the sun doesn't revolve around me and my pretty words." And, and maybe some of this is, uh, good, but doesn't apply here. And maybe some of this is really bad and just needs to go away. Right. Right. Exactly. You look at it and you're just like, I, you know, I have an honest approximation of what I've done, which is good or bad. And, and, you know, yeah, stuff, but you got to do it. You got to, a lot of it just comes with time. You know, there's this sense of, um, I have a, a post coming out next week on creativity and it comes from this sense of, when you first start out, you have this overwhelming bloom of creativity, but your skill level doesn't match it. And so that leads to a great deal of frustration and, and delusion about whether how awesome you are or how terrible you are. Talking about narcissism earlier, some writers end up being um, really, really woeful narcissists mm-hmm. for what they do. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Yeah, I like that notion about at the beginning, there is this, uh, it's what they call a conscious incompetence. There you go. Yeah. That sounds like me every day. (laughs) (laughs) I go to the grocery store, it's conscious incompetence. I can tell my wife that. Don't worry. It's just conscious incompetence. No, that's a man thing with the grocery store. Don't worry about it. That's your gender. Sorry. Would you believe it or not? So I, I do all the grocery shopping and the cooking. Oh, well, so, then, then you clearly are competent on some level if you're actually getting meals on a plate. 
I am, but every once in a while I return home with puzzling items. I'm like, I don't know. Why did I buy starfruit? Like, what was I hoping to accomplish with starfruit? Starfruit and a fondue mix. I don't – no idea. But I have it now. And someday it will be something. Yeah, someday it will be something probably dried and dead in our pantry. <laughs> now, what brought you to writing? Like, when did you start writing and what what – when? how old were you? What was that like at the beginning? Uh, uh, yeah, I was like really – a tiny person when I started writing. Um, the first uh, little thing I wrote, I was a very tiny person, and I wrote this weird comic book about Pac-Man attacking the aliens from the movie Alien. And I don't know why at a very early age I had seen that movie, other than the fact that my parents were completely pop culture illiterate, so they just let me rent whatever I wanted to rent from the hmm. video store. So it's like, I'll just watch this horrible R-rated blood-soaked movie. <laughs> I'm six. Good times. So that sort of got into my head and I, I wrote that. And then later on, um, you know, in high school and stuff, I read um, certain novelists like Robert McCammon. And I was like, you know, I as it turns out, these people can do this. And I think they're actually making money. So that sounds good. Uh, my father always sort of put in this ethos that, you know, you had to work and make money. And it was always this sort of nose to the grindstone attitude, which kind of led him astray in later years. But it, it did at least teach me that this creative Wifty thing that writers do has to be tempered with a certain degree of pragmatism if you're going to go out there and, and succeed at it and not starve and die in your underpants. <laughs> well, you may do that anyway, but boy, uh, you, you gave it I the old college it try. It's because I want to, because <laughs> yeah. I like starving in my underpants, by God. Yeah, I'm making a choice to die this way. Yes, my tighty whities, which I do not wear, by the way. Tighty whities are a stupid piece of clothing. <laughs> I you're you're a fool, a fool. <laughs> but the one thing God gave men that's useful is you're choking it. You're destroying. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, did you start writing short stories, or? Um, yeah, I did. Well, I mean, I I tried writing novels. I wrote, I think, five complete novels and something like three thousand incomplete novels before I actually. Wrote one that didn't suck enough to get published. Um, but before that, I did write uh, short stories, and I had my first short story published when I was 18 oh, years wow. old. Urban Street Lullaby. It was sort of a southern gothic take on um, – there was an author at the time and who still writes sometimes, Poppy Z. Bright, and I sort of kind of ripped her off for her, her voice um, accidentally, not consciously, but there it was. Well, it's it's kind of what you do as a beginner writer, though. You're trying so hard. You're, you're like you're you're just a sponge soaking in other people's voices and then regurgitating them into the world like some human centipede. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that it's an interesting thing because it's like for you, when did you start to get your voice and that you that and actually you were conscious of your voice, like oh, this is the way I write and this is mine and this is what I sound like because you have a very distinctive voice. I mean, reading you, it's like wow, this is thank you. Is That's it, good. Yeah, it's fantastic, and it's like there's no uh, there's no this is you know I know this is Chuck now. If I read I read anything out in the world that re- resembled this, I'd be like, is this Chuck's work? Well, I like, uh, you know, there came a point when I realized that that's what I liked about certain authors was I, you could, it would be a blind Pepsi taste test and I would pick up the book and I would read a page and I'd be like, I totally know that this is Joe Lansdale writing this. I would totally know that this is, you know, whoever I, you know, uh, Christopher Moore or Bradley Denton, whoever it was, I knew that these were the authors I was reading. And there came a point when part of it came from just 
blogging so frequently, you start to pick up on little nuances and little things you say. And I'm like, oh, holy shit, I curse a lot. Well, that's probably part of my voice. But it might be lazy writing. Maybe it's part of my voice. I don't know what it is. But it's it's in there, and you start to sort of develop um, a sense of what you're doing. And then when I learned how to do screenplays, that was sort of the big turning point for me because I uh, one of the things I had always been sort of striving to do was keep things brief and and and, and really sort of like sniper bullet you know, uh, pointed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, until I learned how to write a screenplay, I didn't have that down. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and screenplays are different. Certainly. Um, did you find it freeing to do the screenplay or challenging? A little bit of both, right? I mean, because of the screenplay, everything is down to the page count and everything is such a, like a, like they're really psychotic about page count. Like if you have 91 minutes, it means it's a 91 minute movie, true or false, but that's how they see it. Mm-hmm. And so if you go over that, it's like, well, suddenly you don't get the financing you want or you don't, you know, you don't get this or that. Um, so you sort of learn to, to write in these short, sharp shocks. And, but at the same time, you know, screenplay, you're not writing for a director. You're trying to write to be read and to be compelling and interesting. And so people will get to the end and, 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 you know, enjoy the language that you're using along the way. So I just sort of borrowed some of that and ripped it off from my novels. Hmm. Ha ha ha, well, suckers. Yeah. And you're, because your novels are extremely visual. I mean, really, it's like, it's, it, I don't know if you have anything, do, do you have one of them in front of you? Can you read a passage for us from your new uh, one, Blackbirds? Or uh, Boy, I would love to, but my computer totally Oh, that's right. Your computer died. <laughs> yeah, my computer died today. That was really awesome. I was like, oh, this is good. I'm only in the middle of work that I have to get done. God, I hope you have everything backed up. I do, I do. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm trying to operate on this. Um, let me see. I do, you know, I have this Dropbox thing going for me. Let me see if I can get something up here. But, yeah, you know, writing is a tricky uh tricky thing with trying to find your voice and trying to write sort of sharp in an interesting way. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I kind of run into with myself and I don't really know how to solve this or it's, it's always this thing I generally do in my life anyway. So it's not surprising me. It's showing up in my writing, but (laughs) it's about making a choice, like really deciding like, okay, this is the thing I'm going to land on. And one of the things like, like Anne Lamott's one of my heroes and the way she writes, I really love the way she writes. It's a very open and very revealing. And she writes autobiographical stuff like I do. Sure. And she's very funny. And yet she's, she lets herself be biting and social commentary and she lets herself beat up on herself and try to love herself and all that kind of stuff. And I can write like that. I mean, I certainly can write like that, but I also have this kind of more poetic kind of lyrical way I like to write. And then I write really well academically too. And so I always get afraid that like whatever, like whatever my first big launch is out there as a writer, I mean, I blog a little bit. I've written on the Huffington Post a little bit. Um, and then my one woman show, I mean, I've written and it's, it's, it's really a performance piece at this point. Um, but I, I'm part of me is afraid to like commit to this sort of humorous kind of, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid to, because I don't know what my voice is. I feel like I have three voices. Maybe that's the problem. Well, you know, you just, what you do is you, you write as much as you can as endlessly as possible. And you write really, there's a point when, like, I don't know, um, we can talk a little bit about drugs if you'd like here. Oh, please. Uh, if acid, when you try any sort of hallucinogen, if you drop acid, there's a great moment where sort of the filters all maybe just sort of fall away. They all just sort of crackle and crumble and fall away. Yep. And you're sort of left with this raw, unrefined version of both of your perception of the world and what you are. 
Um, and that's sort of what you need to become mm. as a writer. You sort of need to dig really deep and sort of like strip away all the, the bullshit and the pretense and find out what lies at the very core of your um, probably disturbed psyche. I'm, I'm guessing if you write, you're probably slightly disturbed. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it, at least like 15, 16 percent troubled in some way. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, at yeah. least 16 percent. I mean, that's bare minimum. That's like a that's the slightest requirement. That's barely even damaged, yeah. really, please. 16 yeah. percent. That's no fun. That's no, no, that's not enough. But. I could I could run for office on that kind of. No, I'm sorry. What am I thinking? The people running for no. office are much more damaged than that. And you have a vagina, and that's really – I do. And it, yeah. it is International Women's Day, and I have been looking at it all day. Um, I've, been, I've been looking at my vagina all day as good, well. Good. Very By nice. the way, how sad that you get only a day. Uh, hello? Like what is that? What is that up with? Like, and, and like every other day is white male day. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. much right? yeah. yeah. And we're, we're over 50% of the population. So that just goes yeah. to show you where our status is in the world. We get a right. day and we right. get Mother's Day too, but only some of us, the only people who like actually spawned children get the Mother's Day thing. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's like it, we're rewarding you for having a baby. You, you are. You yeah, white, that, you that, white that, males are doing that. Oh, and then it goes into that whole contraception argument. <laughs> yeah. Let's, we can get yeah. down there. Yeah. Seriously. Well, but back to the voice thing. Um, yeah. you know, I think that I, you know, I'm thinking about my one woman show right now and I'm thinking, you know what? I do have all of that in it. I've got the humor. I'm, I can really do the, the humor kind of snarky thing when I want to or funny. And, uh, and then I can also bring people into this big heart space. That's like kind of my gift as I open up heart space for myself and for people. And I, I invite people to take their mask off in that space and to really feel their heart. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's, a- I think I just need to give, give myself permission to be all those things yeah. within a piece at any moment, whatever really serves the piece. Yeah. You're the only one who's going to give yourself that permission because everyone else will try to stop you from doing whatever it is you want to do. So go nuts. Really? You know, and that's, that's, I know that's, because I grew up in Hollywood here, and so I know about the rules of Hollywood so much about, you know, that, um, A, people do not know what they want until they see it. Yeah. They'll tell you that they think they know what they want. Oh, we want it to be like this, but they really don't know what the hell they no. want. Yeah. And, and they'll say, oh, it needs to be more funny or it needs to be more this or more that. And I'm guessing, you know, I've already, uh, I have, I have a proposal for my memoir and I went out shopping a little bit with it to one place that I thought had, we had a relationship with and never heard back from them. And you know what? These people were New Yorkers and they never called me back, Chuck. What's up with oh, that? Oh, see, they've become corrupted. It's like a invasion of the body snatchers yeah, this, kind of a thing. Maybe they're from L.A. secretly, yeah, and yet I thought secretly. they were New York publishers because you know what? Yeah. They weren't honest with me, and they didn't call me back. Well, New York publishers can be a little tricky. Yeah, I guess so. It's it's kind yeah. of like Hollywood, but but I'm guessing that's the same thing with publishers. Is if you kind of got to show up with knowing who you are, and um and kind of stake your claim about that with them. Yeah, there's a weird thing with anybody who's going to critique you. Um, regardless of whether they're publishers or Hollywood or, you know, the crazy guy who lives next door, there's a point where you have to sort of realize that they're going to try to imprint upon your work what they would do, which is completely the wrong way. What you ultimately have to do is when they critique something, you have to look at the, the, the thing they're critiquing almost in a vague, sort of ambiguous, hazy way and say, can I take anything away from this? Is there, or have they targeted something? Is there something, can I change this word here? Can I change this character? Whatever it is. But ultimately, they're going to try to imprint their idea of fiction or storytelling or humor or whatever it is on yours, and you have to resist that. Yeah. You have to just know how to change it in your own way to make it suit a better story without giving in to someone else's 
you know, way of doing things. Right. Or, or opinion or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You have to sort of just like, you know, hunker down and just like, you know, ready to throw a few punches. Well, yeah. And, and because I think there's a difference between whether someone likes it or doesn't like the genre or some, or your style and the difference between, am I really communicating what I really want to communicate. You know, I know as a writer, that's important to me to get that feedback. Like, are you getting that about my story or right. am I just is dancing it around it? Them? Yeah. Is it you or is it them? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you have a sample there now in front of you? Uh, I have multiple samples, but you want me from something from. Yeah. From- something you want to share with the audience. Um, you know, something that you could read for, I don't know, three, four minutes or so, five minutes. Yeah, all right. Sure, I can do that. Um, this is from Blackbirds. Uh, this is a um, chapter called Interlude, the Interview. Uh, Miriam takes a drink from her water bottle. Nope, still not vodka, she thinks. Above her head, sparrows rustle their wings in the eaves of the warehouse, dark shapes stirring. She lights another Marlboro, bats the ashtray back and forth the way a cat might play with a mouse, blows smoke rings. Drums her fingers, so her nails, some chewed to the cuticle, some left long, click on the top of the card table. Finally, the door opens. The kid comes in, a notebook and pages tucked under his arm, a laptop bag hanging at his side, digital recorder dangling from a cord around his neck. His hair is a mess. He pulls up a chair. Sorry, he says. Miriam shrugs. Whatever. Paul, right? Paul, yeah. He offers to shake her hand. She stares at the hand like it has a dick and balls attached to it. He doesn't get it at first, but then it dawns on him. Oh, ah, uh, right. So, do you really want to know, she asks. Paul pulls his hand back and gently shakes his head no. He sits down without saying another word. He gets out a notebook, a couple copies of his zine, headlines like ransom notes printed on pages of fluorescent fuchsia, eyes punching lemon, nuclear lime, and delicately places the digital recorder in the center of the table. Thanks for the interview, he says. The kid sounds nervous. Sure thing. She sucks on the cigarette. After an exhale of smoke in his direction, she adds... I don't mind talking about it. It's not a secret. It's just that nobody listens. I'm listening. I know. You bring me what I asked. He pulls out a crumpled brown bag, sets it down in front of her with a thunk. She snaps her fingers. Well, it isn't going to unwrap itself, is it? Paul hurries to pull the bottle of scotch, Johnny Walker red label, from the bag. For me, she asks, waving him off. You shouldn't have. She unscrews the cap, takes a swig. Arzine, he says, it's called Rebel Base. It gets like a 100 readers or something, and soon we're going to be in the Internet. Welcome to the future, she says. She fingers the moist rim of the scotch bottle. I don't really care, by the way. I'm just happy to talk. I like to talk. Okay. They sit there, staring at each other. You're not a very good interviewer, she says. I'm sorry, he says. You're just not who I expected. Uh, do you want me to keep going, or should I? Uh, no, that, that's great. That's great. Yeah, so let's- yeah I'll, I'll go in there and just sort of say, to, to explain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Miriam Black, and as, as the, the description goes, uh, Miriam Black knows how you're going to die. Um, with just a touch, she can sort of tell how uh, people are going to bite it. They're going to suck the pipe, take the big dirt nap. And uh, so that led me in this book to play with death visions in a, in a really weird, fun way. It's uh, it's such, so compelling, Chuck, this book. Uh, Miriam is fascinating. First of all, the concept is fantastic. It's like a Twilight Zone episode or something crazy like that. Yeah, it kind of is, right? Yeah, it's it's really great. So so yeah, so Miriam just touches people's skin and she knows right. exactly how they're going to die. Yes. And she has to walk around with all these images in her head of all the people she's touched on purpose and by accident. 
Yes, and doubly troubling to her is that she has tried in the past to change people's deaths and has been completely unsuccessful. So at the start of the novel, she's effectively a vulture. She lets people die, and then once they're dead, she steals from – she basically robs from the uh, the corpses. Yes, and then her life gets immediately complicated. <laughs> yes, yes. She learns she is uh, complicit in some in someone's death. Yes, exactly. And one of the things that she grapples with a lot and I I've, I've read about half the novel now and is just this notion of destiny. And yeah, and fate the, versus well, man. Yeah, and that so so in in the world of this novel there is no changing it. There's she like she. That's the appearance, at least. Yeah. Right. So at at this point in the novel, at least for yeah, me, yeah. Halfway through, yeah. No, it still seems like she's pretty much fucked. Yeah, yeah. and really grappling with that—the fact that right. she she would really like to be able to change it, and that that right. that right. that story she tells about you know uh, thinking she has changed it for someone that little boy at that time. Oh, yeah, the red balloon, sure. Yeah, and how actually by her being there, thinking she's changing it, she actually made it come about the way it exactly was going to come about the whole time. Yeah, she was she was a um, fate's bitch, I believe, as she refers to it. <laughs> I just your your little phrases you come up with are oh. God, you're so amazing to read. It's see, really- that, see, you're just inflating. See, I'm going to become a narcissist now. <laughs> I'm a convert. You're a convert. I'm a convert to my own uh, ego. Welcome yay, to my yay, church. Me. I'm a genius. Welcome, she said so. Welcome to the center of my universe, baby. Nice. Check out my altar. Please leave your <laughs> donations at the door. <laughs> and some scotch. And some scotch. That's just fine. <laughs> so what are your own notions about destiny and fate that you struggle with? Yeah, shit. Um, that's the weird thing, right? This book sort of comes out of that problem. Um, because there's this part when you're a teenager and you're a total dick bag and you're like, I'm going to drive at 90 mile an hour down this curvy back road and I'm going to have unprotected sex with weird people and it's going to be awesome. And who cares? I'm, you know, I'm either going to die tomorrow or live forever, but you don't actually sort of believe that die tomorrow thing. It's sort of a romantic notion. Um, and then, you know, into my, into my twenties and probably into most people's twenties and thirties, people, you know, and love start to drop off like flies. Like, you know, my, you know, grandmother, both grandmothers died and then, and, you know, a beloved aunt dies and my dad died. And you're like, suddenly you, you sort of hit this face full of, of water, this cold, icy rush of water. And you're like, shit, I am totally going to bite it someday. And that is very unfortunate. And, you know, it sort of accentuates a sense of hypochondria and like, oh, my God, is this what is happening? Is this pimple? Is this my doom? <laughs> is this face cancer? Is this head cancer? I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead by tomorrow. And, um, you know, you start to feel like you can't control any of that. And there's this great sense of uh, lack of control. And, and I read this weird study to talk about rats for a minute that rats who have control over they, they, they would receive shocks, right, if they could get food. But if they could control the shocks as to as to when they took the food. They were happier rats, but rats who could not control the shocks and the shocks happened arbitrarily and intermittently throughout the rats' lives. The rats developed weird sicknesses and diseases, and they they slowly became insane. And so it was like this this idea that how what what must it be like to be a person who has no control not only over death but over everybody's deaths? And I wrote this little like weird page of of text one day that was just about this character Miriam and how much it sucked to be her. And because she knew how everyone was going to die, but her, mm. and uh, that's sort of where it comes out of. But it sort of is comes out of all this these deaths I you know saw in my own life and realized it 
we're all sort of fucked. Wow. And it, I, I just, I actually, I don't know if I was reading your blog on this or I just read about that too, the rats thing and about the, the whole notion of the perception of choice. Yeah. And, um, and you think about the power of that, that I know in my life when I felt like I had no choice, which I would say was in my twenties in my first marriage when I was doing a lot of cocaine, uh, it, what I was, it was the darkest, 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 because I really didn't believe that I had the power to get out of that relationship. All I had to do was get out of the relationship. But for me, it right. felt like there was no way I could do that. Yeah. And, inevitability. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think about, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name who, uh, wrote a man and meaning, um, he was a Holocaust survivor. Oh, man in the meaning of life. I think it's called. Oh, I'm going to figure it out. Anyway, uh, so it happens to me all the time on this show. I like need to sit, find something. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. Um, and he, when he was in the camps, he chose, he chose to a believe that he was going to survive, but that right. he made every day meaningful to himself. He found something meaningful, whether it was in a flower that he could see or the beauty in someone's eyes or the meal he was eating, whatever it was, he found something meaningful and he came out of that experience a really incredibly grounded, not fucked right. up human being at all. Well, that's the thing. That's the choice, isn't it? There's a choice. I mean, it's a hard choice to make. It's not like I don't, I mean, it sounds like it's easy when it's a choice, but any sort of grim realization like that, whether it's just grappling with death or addiction or whatever circumstances you're put in, you do have certain choices as to how you deal with those things and how you accept them. And that's a meaningful thing. It is. And, and I, and I believe ultimately because of kind of, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, things are written in stone or anything, but like genetics or whatever, right. or, the, or the way the planet is right now. And yes, we're all going to die. I mean, there's that thing too. Um, every day. Well, I'm not. I've decided I'm not going to die. Oh, that's right. You're a narcissist yeah. and immortal. Yeah, I'm a narcissist. Okay, good. I, that's I can right. No longer die. <laughs> we will just revolve around you. Eternally, yep. it'll be yes. well, or at least for a couple billion years. Yeah, until I supernova. Yeah, there good. you go. <laughs> but there is something about um, really getting that uh, you know there is meaning to be made in every moment and in every day, and part of that meaning, uh, part of that making that meaning, is understanding that you have the choice to make that meaning out of your day. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And uh, we've solved the problem. We've yeah, solved it. See, once again, this is what we do here on my show is we Except just – we either confuse everything or we solve everything. There's nothing in the middle between those two. Yeah. Maybe you solve everything by confusing everything. <laughs> I, I do believe in that chaos theory, you know, that bifurcation point. The minute it gets so chaotic, then something a new order comes from it. Happen. All right. I, you know, you, you break things or you fix things by breaking them. That's right. That's how you have to break things. That's right. I mean, yeah. God knows. Look at the world right now. We have officially yep. broken it. I don't think we've broken it enough. It's still kind of yeah. It's we, it's still hanging on. Yeah, but yeah. it's 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 your, your dad did some great stuff about <laughs> the Earth sort of taking a shit bath and shaking us all off like fleas, and that was a good. Y- yes, I, I I play that clip uh, in my my one woman show, and so every time I I listen, I just love the part where he talks about, and we think that plastic bags and aluminum cans <laughs> are going to change yeah. the direction of this planet. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Earth the, plus plastic, the uh, new paradigm. That's right, baby. That's right. To it. Yeah. She's figuring out shit to do with that in the ocean as we speak right now. <laughs> that big thing the 
skies of Texas is floating yep. out there and she's making something new yep, with she's it. She's making something that'll probably kill us all. <laughs> and yet feed the next generation of whatever needs to be fed. Yep. Whatever aqua people come out of the ocean. The, they'll be the aqua plastic people. See? Story right there. See, there you go. There we, right there. We just created something. So, so is your genre horror? Is that what you call this? God, I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I think I pitched this as paranormal mystery and then it got Ooh, I like marketed that. as urban fantasy. Um, but it's kind of crime and it's kind of horror and it's kind of literary and it's kind of whatever. So yeah, who knows? but it uh, ultimately it's, it's deep character study, which is really fun. That's the thing. Unfortunately, the marketing doesn't work for that. You try no. it's a deep character study, and people are like, "Oh, they're like, no. oh, no, no, like, okay, it's got profanity and boobs, and they're like, oh, oh okay, okay I'm, y'all, I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> Give me ten, great. I'll take a dozen. Yes. The, um, the so does this kind of urban fantasy horror, whatever the fuck you want to call it, right. thing. Is this where? Is this your wheelhouse? Is this where you're always living? Is this where these uh, characters show up for yeah, you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, not necessarily. I just like sort of twisted shit. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just finished um, a book which is actually very light and pulpy. Uh, Dinocalypse Now. It's this crazy like time travel pterodactyl's adventure for a game called spirit of the century and it's you know but it sort of contains that same i think vibe that i like to go with which is sort of insane and twisted and over the top and um sort of an interesting character study for people trapped in those scenarios uh so yeah now i haven't i've done a little bit of fiction writing and i actually have been thinking a lot about it lately now that i've done this huge autobiographical one woman show and it's like uh, I want to go inhabit other people and not have to be pointing the finger directly at me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> See, the trick with fiction is you're always pointing it sort of to the margins of you. No yes. matter how much you try not to, you always are. Yeah, I mean, because no yeah. matter what, you live inside your psyche. Even though, even if right. there's 20,000 people in your psyche, it's still your fucking psyche. Yeah, every every story I write is going to be probably about like daddy issues or something. I don't even realize it, but it's in there. It, but yeah, no, no, absolutely. So you're writing you're writing fiction. That's that's you you want to. That's good. Yeah. Well, I, I started working on a screenplay like 10 years ago, and I got about halfway through it. And uh, one of the things I found fascinating about it was that that moment when it took over. Yeah. It's a a weird moment, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You're like, what just happened? I think I fugued out and 10 pages got written. Yes. And, and my character literally got in her car and drove to Mexico and I was not planning on that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There is a point and it's a weird sort of a myth with the writers thing that my characters are doing things that I don't want to do, even though really they're actually technically doing everything you wanted them to do. You just didn't realize it yet. That's the cool part. When you realize that your characters have, um, you know, tapped into a deep well of your, your crazy bullshit ocean inside of you. And, yeah. And like, oh. It's like the, the story that wants to be written that your conscious mind doesn't either a doesn't want to be, doesn't right. want to be writing or isn't ready to deal with right. or it goes do- back to that acid thing I was talking about. Sometimes you got to perforate all the bullshit with, with a hallucinogen. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. And it's, it, but it's a, it's a trusting place at that point. Yeah. It has to be, you have to sort of get that bridge between you and the story and then the story and the audience. So my question is when you, when, when you let that go and, and you, you know, you start, okay, she's, cause she's into Mexico and there she goes. And what now does the story, when the story gets away from you, and I'm guessing it does at some point, how do you, and what is your advice to like kind of wrestle it back in or, you know, get it, get it corralled or getting it pointed in the other direction? 
I don't really wrestle it back in so much as I just recalibrate the story from that fucked up point forward. If mm. they they break left when I wanted them to go right, I figure out then well what happens now, ah. and then I sort of plot that part out. I figure that that's that choice was something that made sense, and so I mean I I, I outline. I have to outline. Oh, you I, do. Okay. I spent with Blackbirds. I spent two years writing this bloated, turgid corpse penis of a novel that was just a horrible didn't make any sense and it was just a it didn't nothing connected and i just was like no you can't you can't hold me down with an outline man i'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna wreck my creativity fuck you man you're yeah, the man you're, you're trying to break my magic my narcissism so i was like i i just went for two years with this piece of crap novel and there came a point when I um, developed a mentorship with a um, screenwriter named Stephen Susco, who wrote um, the two Grudge films, and he taught me that I'm going to need to outline eventually. Mm. And so I learned to outline, and what I outlined first was a Blackbird's story, and it helped me see the story for what it needed to be. And then anytime I deviated from that, I just knew that I almost like it, it, I, I look at it like um, directions, like on on a map, like you, again, like you're trying to go to the grocery store. Well, just because one road is blocked off, well, now I have to reconfigure my way, but the story is still the story, and I can still sort of get to my destination somehow. So it's mostly just trying to figure out the new direction once you've taken a, an odd turn. So so it's kind of when the GPS goes, recalibrating, recalibrating. Yeah, yeah. or turn left into these people's hedges. You're, like, <laughs> You're going to murder me, GPS. That's what's happening. You're trying to kill me. You're but a I fucked did. up bitch, GPS. Yeah. Fuck you. So that's interesting. So there, so there is this kind of just kind of let it flow writing, and then there's this outline, and then there's somewhere in between, which is like, okay, you've got the outline, but then something the character says, no, we're going right instead of left here. And you're like, yeah, yeah. but ultimately we're ending up in right. Omaha, so we need yeah. to figure out how to get there. <laughs> exactly. The outline is just your Google Maps printout. You, you, there's no guarantee you're going to follow it to the letter. Right. Who knows what kind of traffic you may hit? Yeah, you're right. There's going to be a busload of overturned bees or something or pork products, and you're going to have to go around it. <laughs> and so do you teach? Are you mentoring other people now, and do you teach? Besides, no, besides I your blog? just on the website. Um, I've sort of thought about teaching, but this is the year where I sort of wanted to focus more on being generative as opposed to mm-hmm. um, you know, helping everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I still do it at the website, obviously, but uh, – I'm interested more in getting – back to that sweet, sweet narcissism. I'm interested more in getting my own stuff out there. Well, you know, I think that it's an interesting uh, thing I've learned about, you know, kind of the artist's life, that there is times to be fully generative, just about putting yourself out in the world, out, 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 out. And then there are times when it has to be – I'm in the cave and it has to be in, 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 in. Yeah. And then there's that other thing about, you know, sharing your craft or sharing your wisdom or knowledge and, you know, right. and it's, it's important to do, I think, to do all of that. Um, not everyone does that, but I, I, I think, you know, if you get to a certain amount of, um, a, a level of expertise is something I think as a human being, it's our job to try to, you know, lift other, yeah. other people up. And even if it's not just lifting other people, it's just wanting to talk about it. Yeah. About this crazy thing. Everyone assumes like you hear this piece of writing advice. Well, all you need to do is write and read. It's like, oh, okay. Cause that's all it takes. That's just, <laughs> that's just the Well, then any, any jerk off can do this. This is awesome. This is just, this is anybody just needs to write and read and you're a writer. And it, it does go a little deeper than that as it turns out. And what if, what have you learned about, I mean, you know, your process, I'm guessing, has changed over 
the years as yes. you've done this. How, yeah. What have you learned most recently about your process and, and, and what's working for you now? There is a sense of trying to cultivate voice and stay on target with voice um, that I wasn't really aware of maybe two years ago. Hmm. Um, and again, also, too, going back to that generative thing, trying to be, you know, like less about writing for other people and more about writing for yourself. And there's this weird sort of, you know, with Blackbirds, I sort of really came to realize that there's a you really need to bleed on the page a little bit. And Blackbirds is a very I mean, as much as it's not about me, there's some very personal things obfuscated, but you, you wouldn't know they're about me, but they're about me in the novel. So, I mean, there's that whole piece of writing advice they give you the right what you know, which it, they everybody misconstrues it. Like, well, how can I write a space battle? Because I've never been in a space battle. Like, <laughs> okay, settle down. That's not what anybody's talking about. They're not saying you can't write about a space battle, but you've been in tense situations, and so you're going to borrow from that tension you've experienced, whether you were, you know, in whatever in high school or whatever in your day job or whatever tense. You want to borrow from that emotion. You want to find something in there that you can you can dig a little deeper and pull that out in the fiction, and, you know, you're still – you're still beating heart on the page. That, that's kind of the goal. That's that's what write what you know means, at least to me. Yeah, and I I you know I I can't imagine the character Miriam, um, and reading the book that it has to be uh, you bleeding on the page because there's a lot of rawness in her and she's dealing with, um, really dealing with her own sanity and dealing with trying to. F- Function in an impossible situation. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we've all been there to some degree. I mean, right. We've all had days where we feel completely out of control or we feel like nothing we do matters. And so there's this sense of how do you make that matter and how do you find control in your life? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so learning to, you know, one thing I'm learning right now is being vulnerable on stage in front of an audience what's that like you know i don't i don't do the stage that's out of giving talks occasionally i don't really yeah that's gotta be pretty tricky right it, it is because um this is my life i'm talking about so i'm really vulnerable and, right. and you know there's nothing between you and the audience um and yet what gets created when it works is this space where you give permission to everyone to be themselves. Right. And for me, that's why I do this work. So well, that's the thing I really loved. Um, I, I recently, and I linked to it too, the, um, Louis CK talking at your, um, at mm-hmm. the New York public library about your father. And it, there's a great sort of turning point for him where he did this, you know, for 15 years, he did the same regurgitated material. And then there came the point when he just started talking about how his kids were assholes. It was like, he started <laughs> more or less bleeding on the page, but at this, on the stage. Yeah. And, you know, he put himself out there and it was really about Louis C.K. suddenly. And that was, I think, when his his star sort of took off and he became Louis C.K. A- absolutely. And, and I, even though my father didn't do autobiographical material, um, the same kind of turn happened for my dad. And I talk about it in my show, which was right around the Jammin' in New York show, which is The Planet is Fine, which we were talking yes. about earlier, yeah. which is where – he, Fundamental in my youth, by the way. That, that's yeah, special. Yeah, and, and it's where he revealed to him, to admitted to to the to the world that um, you know uh, I don't see it the way you see it. 
Yeah. And I'm not going to see it in a pretty way. And I'm going to see it how he sees it and he's going to talk about it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and the beauty about his genius was he could make it funny and palpable enough mm-hmm. that even if you didn't sign up 100% to his point of view, you were willing to visit it with him. Well, yeah. And then you also started to realize, wow, I actually think I do see it this way. And I either didn't realize it or wasn't really comfortable with that. Yes. It was awesome. Yeah. Profound comedy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and, and so that there, I, I think, I think the, I mean, for me, what gives me hope in the moment about humanity is when we can uh, bleed on the page in front of each other and look each other yeah. in the eye and saying, you know what, we're just human here. And, right. Let's mean something. Let's put yeah, something out. And nobody knows what the fuck is going on. I think that's what frustrates me more than anything about modern day politics and especially what's going on in this oh. instant uh, with all of this is that all these people walk around pretending like they know what's going on and they know what's yeah. going to work in the future and of course they can't stand up there and say i don't know but man wouldn't that be refreshing <laughs> well that's that's the trick you know with the, the the more they become mired in religion and i mean i'm not anti-religion i think there's value in religion i'm not precisely atheist but i'm kind of a weirdly agnostic you know hazy yeah but they me too. when they look at religion and they find answers which is fucking nuts because <laughs> religion i mean the fact that the bible has four gospels that tells one story four ways there's no possible way right there you just want to be like that you can't you can't have answers it's it rashomon right there four ways yeah so tell me what happened to jesus and they're like well it happened this way and you're like yeah but this guy in the bible the book you think is the most important book ever says something completely different than that thing you just said. So you're picking and choosing what you need for your, you know, your, your platform, your, your politics. And so they, they grab this, these religious backgrounds and they say, okay, well, I know the answer. And you start to get really worried because you're like, you're going to destroy the world based on yeah. your crazy beliefs, your, your little certainty. Your, your little version of the story. Yeah. 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 And, and the most irony I find about uh, fundamentalist religion is that God, the definition of God in the most basic archetype, archetypal way is the thing that can never be defined or known. It is, it's the ultimate mystery. And yeah. all they do is spend time trying to explain and define <laughs> and pinpoint the ultimate mystery. Well, and can we on International Women's Day just acknowledge that once upon a time, God had a female companion yeah the shaking of equal importance yeah and this is gone someone just decided in the middle ages just write that all out that's done yeah screw that lady <laughs> white dudes transcendent screw that lady she knows too much yeah she knows too much <laughs> lock her away in the garden absolutely <laughs> you know what let's give her some laundry and make her busy Exactly. That'll give her something to do yeah. with her hands so she's not exactly. making brew and herbs yes. and actually healing people with organic things and feeding them right. Yeah. <sighs> well, you have a little bundle of human being in your life now. Yeah. Boy, a little little chaotic goblin. And how old? Is that boy? Uh, boy, yeah. He is nine months old. Oh. Uh, I guess, yeah. He's, um, which is like a, I didn't realize a turning point. <laughs> for children and what's in, happening in a week he has like he's now waving and high-fiving and trying to give kisses and he's screaming and teething <laughs> and trying to walk and standing up and wow. he's doing all of this in 
he's eating like bigger than I eat. I mean, you know, some people, <laughs> I just want a yogurt for breakfast. And he's like, I'll take two of those, motherfucker. Like, okay. <laughs> wow. He's destroying our pantry. <laughs> oh, like, like uh, a hungry badger. Oh, oh, give him 14 years. <laughs> He'll really destroy your fucking pantry yeah, then. I'm, like we may need to put him in the, on the curb in a box marked free pandas. <laughs> Well, it'll be interesting. Good. So it's it's, it's, uh, it's totally strange. Oh well, good. Well, congratulations, and uh, it'll. I'll, I you know I I think you just just meeting you here and seeing you on Twitter. Uh, I think you'll be a, a I think and know that you are a great dad. And well, thank you. And make sure you use the word fuck around him a lot because well, we we do to our chagrin and we can't <laughs> control it. <laughs> we try really hard, but it comes out anyway. Well, at, at whatever age it was when I finally realized. Well, actually, I think it was my dad's, there was a big surprise party for my dad and my mom and I made a birthday cake that said, happy birthday, fuck you. <laughs> and I was of a certain age where I knew that the word was a grown up word, but I didn't quite know what it meant. Yeah. But I knew that I was cool because I got to bring the cake in. So all the grown ups knew that I saw the word. Right. And, We're in on Right. I was in on it. And my dad's advice to me about the word thing was, look, there are no bad words, but there are places that other people don't like little kids to say bad words. School right. is one of them and other people's houses. They might, they may have different rules Precisely. and you can say them here, but you can't use them to hurt other people. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. So yeah. no, uh, my, my father, he was a, uh, I accidentally cursed one time in front of him and I literally, it was literally an accident. I did not mean to say the curse word that I said, I was going to say a, a word that sounded like it, and that word came out. And he was um, incredibly proud of me, which is a weird, you know, I was like 11 or something. And I was like, well, okay, that, I thought I was going to get yelled at and this, and he's excited and telling me I should do this more often. Oh, so it's very strange. That's very nice. That's good. He's like, yeah, he's, he's going the right direction. He'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be fine. He's a man now. So, okay. got hair on, he's got hair on his peaches. Yeah, good. Eventually. Okay. I mean, a, a few at least. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go shoot. Let's go shoot things. Let's go okay. shoot something now. Yeah. Well, darling, it was fantastic to get to know you and to talk to you and to talk all about this. And uh, good luck Thank with my pleasure. And good luck with Blackbirds. Everyone go out. Chuck, uh, check out TerribleMinds.com. You can find all of Chuck's stuff on there. Links to his books, blogs, his writing yes. advice. Um, just more than you could ever, ever, ever read in, in a day. And enjoy that. And uh, Chuck, I will see you on Twitter. Absolutely. Thank you again. Have a beautiful night. You too. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that is our show for today. Thank you all for being here. And um, please uh, know that this uh, conversation is listener supported. We do this work only because of your generous donation. And um, we would love to have your donation. So please go to my website, kellycarlin.com slash waking, and you'll find a PayPal button. If you oh so want to support us, we would love that and appreciate it and know that people love us out there. And you know, like seriously, it really does pay for Logan's gas money. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, the price of gas, it's insane. So whatever you were going to give today, just give twice. <laughs> All right, people, find me on Twitter, Kelly underscore Carlin. Find me on Facebook. I got the like page. You can friend me too, but it's getting up there with the friend thing. I'm going to have to start saying no. So I'm just letting you know about that. Please come see me at South by Southwest if you're going to be in Austin this weekend. 
Come see my show, Ballroom G, 5 p.m. Saturday. Check out my website. I've got all my appearances and all my theater stuff on there. My other show, The Kelly Carlin Show, uh, last week, last Sunday, it premiered on, uh, no, the, the new show it was an uh, interview with Eddie Izzard, which I found out that's how you say it. That's what Eddie and I talked about right off. And we talked about aluminum. He explained it to me finally. I understand it. Uh, so you can also find me on the beautiful Sirius XM first Sundays of the month on Raw Dog with the Kelly Carlin Show. Next month up, I talk with Lewis Black, which rocks because we already taped it. And next week, next week, I don't know who's going to be here. I don't have a guest yet. So it's all very exciting. It could be anyone. Uh, who knows who I could get? I may get a past guest. I may get a future guest. I may get Christmas ghost guest. I don't know who that is. All right, people, let me see. Who am I going to play here? Wait a minute. I got to get my goddamn music back up here. Holding on here. Oh, it's, oh, it's, you know what? It's not easy being a pimp out here. Is that, I can't remember the name of that. Well, let's play a little Logan Heftel since he's sitting right here. We're going to play a little uh, Mr. Logan out here. Hmm. We're going to play, um, not now. You guys have a great week. See you soon. In the market for a change of scene I know what you need Or if you prefer to be familiar You can stay with me If you want to sit and talk I know a spot, we'll take a walk Let me show you what I've got Come play with me now Though habit is mandible, habit will end it all. Easier to keep along, feel the beat, sing the song. Hey, don't slow it down, size it up, keep it loud. We are never going down, not now. Wait, don't make a sound Keep on fed, keep on proud We are never going down Not now I'll introduce you to the promised land Show you the hills, the city plants Everything was made for man Come play with me now Though habit is mandible, habit will end them all. Point the blame and don't move on. Feel the beat, sing along. Hey, don't slow it down. Size it up, keep it loud. We are never going down. Not now. Wait. Don't make a sound Keep on fed Keep on proud We are never going down Not now But you'll figure out They'll take your name They'll play your game But it never was about 
habit is mandible. Habit will end us all. Easier than right or wrong. Feel the beat. Sing the song. Hey, don't slow it down. Size it up. Keep it loud. We are never going down. Not now. Wait, don't make a sound. Keep us fed. Keep us proud. We are never going down. Not now. We are never going down. Not now.